Hello there. This is Series 8 of Satisfied. The Series 8 podcasts enhance the God-dependent woman Bible study covering the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. I'm Melanie Newton, just an everyday kind of woman who loves the Lord and His Word. In the last podcast, we saw the importance of grasping truth to protect you from enemy captivity. Today's podcast will cover Lesson 9 of the God-Dependent Woman Bible Study. We will look at how our response to hardships reveals whom we are following, Christ, ourselves, or the world. Through the years, I've met several women who had been freed from the brainwashing associated with various cults claiming to be Christian. From a Christian perspective, a cult is a religious group that denies one or more of the fundamentals of biblical truth. When you read through history, it seems that women are more drawn to religious cults than men. Cult leaders are usually charismatic and persuasive, inviting women to follow them. A cult may promise to satisfy your heart needs through community and a sense of controlled boundaries. Women like community and a controlled environment. But cult leaders then control an individual's associations, deliberately withhold or distort information, discourage critical thinking, and manipulate their followers through fear, guilt, and indoctrination. The result is that these women become victims of false teachers and often become false teachers themselves. Many present-day cults were started by women. The modern spiritualism movements such as goddess worship and mysticism are saturated with prominent women. Are women more easily deceived than men? Absolutely not. The Bible teaches that being seduced by evil is a human thing, not a woman thing. Paul made that clear in his warning to all of the Corinthians, not just the women, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He used what happened to Eve as an example of Satan's deception and distortion of God's Word. We covered how to overcome that distortion in the podcast for Lesson 8. But how do you recognize the deceivers? As we continue to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we see Paul's warning that those influencing his Corinthian family may be claiming to be super apostles, but they are actually deceivers. Deceivers masquerade as servants of light, but are really being used as servants of Satan instead. Christian or not Christians, they are doing Satan's work. What do I mean by that? Genuine believers can still allow themselves to follow Satan's example of deception. The false teachers perverted the thinking of and misdirected the affections of the Corinthians away from the one who taught them the gospel in all its glorious truth. Paul called them out for who they were, pretenders. And he emerges as the truly spirit-led apostle. He was the one following Christ. That's the mark of a trustworthy teacher, following Christ more than your own preferences and more than the culture. Paul never pretended to be one of those dazzlers the culture valued, but the listeners were stirred by his words and grew in their knowledge of and relationship with God because of his teaching. That's what matters. Let me put in a word of caution here. Several years ago, 
a popular Christian fiction book taught people to look for demons everywhere and in everything. Someone in my church who didn't agree with the decision the elders made called several people in the church and declared that the elders were all under demonic control. The decision wasn't really the issue. She just didn't like that they wouldn't let her do what she wanted to do. Looking for demons in everything and everyone is not a spiritually healthy exercise because it puts your attention on them rather than on Christ. We can recognize someone masquerading as a servant of light by the fruit of their work. They separate you from other well-respected biblical teachers. They pretend to love you, but are using you instead. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. They enslave you to their thinking so that you are dependent on them and submit to being abused by them. They manipulate you by fear and guilt, and they lead you astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We all follow somebody. If you are a Christ follower, the practice of following Him well may be one of the greatest tests of your character. Are you living in self-sufficiency and boasting in your own success? Or... Are you living in God dependency and boasting in what the Lord is doing in and through you? The answer to those test questions is revealed in how you respond to difficult situations like Paul described in the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As you read all that Paul had endured, did you go, oh, wow. Instead of citing all the things he had accomplished, including ministry successes or honors that he'd received from others. Paul boasted about things that others would consider defeats instead. He boasted about all the hardships he experienced up to that point in his life. That covered only the first 20 years of his ministry, not even what happened to him in Acts chapters 21 through 28 and beyond. Living in the extremes had become such a part of Paul's life following Christ. Paul bragged about his hardships and his weaknesses compared to those false apostles who had risked nothing. He boasted about how much he depended on the Lord, magnifying the amazing grace of God, which is sufficient for his every need. Jesus never failed him, yet Jesus allowed him to experience all that pain and suffering. What is absolutely amazing is the number of times the Bible says that Paul is joyful and rejoicing during those extremes. Sure, I can be joyful when I have plenty of money and I'm really comfortable in life, but how do you live joyfully when the storms of life hit? Years ago, I read a news headline that said, sinkholes leave Florida neighborhood looking like cratered wasteland. Being the geologist, I was intrigued and had to read more. The article said that people in a central Florida neighborhood are stuck in a nightmare after a dozen sinkholes opened, forcing the evacuation of a bunch of homes. Residents said the holes burst open as water started exploding into what looked like geysers shooting out of a now empty pond. Central Florida is sinkhole alley with porous limestone resembling Swiss cheese close to the surface. The holes in the limestone existed long before the neighborhood was built. 
What strikes me is that Florida sinkholes are notorious, yet people bought those houses and moved in anyway. Did they expect the solidness of the housing construction to keep them safe? One resident said that he's hoping the city engineers fix it so he doesn't have to worry about those sinkholes happening anymore. <laughs> but the bedrock hasn't changed. It's limestone. Limestone dissolves. And porous limestone dissolves faster. I learned this in geology classes in college. Those expectations of a permanent fix need to be released or the residents will be continually disappointed. Those sinkholes remind me of a topic of conversation at a recent women's retreat. We were talking about the storms of life and how we respond to them. The speaker shared that there are really two types of storms that hit us, those caused by our own disobedience and those that hit through no fault of our own. Hurricane Harvey hit my Christian friends hard on the Gulf Coast. An otherwise healthy and very godly young mom battling cancer that just won't go away. A happily married couple who love Jesus can't get pregnant. Those storms of life hit through no fault of the victims. When we go through such difficulties of life, we all have what we would consider acceptable outcomes, expectations. But those expectations can become sinkholes if we try to hold on to them too tightly. I read a statement recently that stunned me. It just stopped me in my tracks, and it fits so well here. This is what it said. Joy requires us to release our expectation of what is an acceptable outcome. Let me say that again. Joy requires us to release our expectation of what is an acceptable outcome. I think expectations of acceptable outcomes are like sinkholes waiting to happen. When we approach troubles with expectations of what we think are acceptable outcomes and then something else happens, our disappointment and anger can explode like geysers shooting out of a now empty pond. It's okay to ask for specific answers to prayer, but we need to hold on to those expected answers with open fingers. We must release them to Jesus and let Him decide what to do. That's releasing expectations. We see in 2 Corinthians how Paul did that. In chapter 5, he wanted to be with the Lord. In heaven or on earth didn't matter, whatever the Lord wanted. In chapter 11, he showed that he had released expectations of being protected from hardship. He was an official apostle. That was a big deal in Christ's kingdom. As a servant of Christ, he might have expected protection. I love what longtime seminary professor Dr. Tom Constable said about this. He said, Paul could maintain a truly joyful attitude even in unpleasant circumstances because he derived his joy from seeing God glorified rather than from seeing himself exalted. I like that. He could rejoice at any one of God's acceptable outcomes. You and I can choose to do that too. Bible teacher Chuck Swindoll said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Sounds like we need to prepare ourselves ahead of time with a God-honoring response, doesn't it? Here's one of them. 
rejoice at God's acceptable outcome. When you release your expectation of acceptable outcomes, you can rejoice at what God has done or is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. That reminds me of how both Martha and Mary responded to Jesus in John chapter 11. Both of them said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was their only acceptable outcome. But Jesus had a greater purpose. What floors me is that John 11 verse 5 says that Jesus loved them, loved them, and still let them go through that pain. They did nothing wrong. He wept with them, but he had a greater purpose. When Martha and Mary saw him, they had to trust his goodness and whatever he would do for them in their trouble. What would be his acceptable outcome? Bringing a four-day dead Lazarus back to life was a far better outcome than what the sisters had in mind. Dear listener, we can avoid the sinkholes of unreleased expectations. We do that by releasing them. By faith, we can know with certainty that Jesus loves us and knows what is going on in our lives. We can have confidence in his power to do something about it. But the way to release expectations is to trust in his goodness in whatever he chooses to do in that situation. It's okay to ask for your heart's desire, but leave the decision in his hand. Accept the outcome that he provides. In adversity, God can avert the trouble, deliver you from it, or allow you to suffer through it. Give him the glory for whatever he chooses to do. That's what Paul modeled for us throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. Our reactions to those extremes, whether comfort or pain, reveal to those around us the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. In fact, we discover more about our own hearts as we face the extremes of life. Whether we will be faithful to Christ alone in the midst of what the world might consider success or failure, our response to hardship, suffering, and pressure reveals whom we are following, ourselves, the world, the devil, or Christ. Dear believer, make sure your responses show that you are following Christ and depending on him while living life in the extremes. That leads me to this question. Do you depend on God when everything else you try to do for yourself fails? That's our saying to evaluate. Here's what it says. Reasons why I depend on God. Number one, because everything else I tried to do for myself failed. The end. True or false? Okay, what's wrong with this statement? Not everything you try to do for yourself will fail. You may be very gifted at doing a lot of things. Depending on God will assure that you will do them His way, which will make you more successful at doing anything good than you could do on your own. It's a false statement. From our lesson today, here are some reasons why God wants us to depend on Him more than on ourselves. To keep us from being led astray by false teaching. That's 11 verse 3 to help us recognize error in teaching. That's 11 verses 4 and 5. To know the truth about God, chapter 11, verse 6. For financial support that enables us to share Christ and disciple others, chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. 
to show us those masquerading as his servants and release us from their grip. Chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. To rescue us from danger. Chapter 11, verses 23 through 27 and 32 and 33. To help us handle the daily pressures of that which concerns us. Chapter 11, verse 28. To teach us the value of boasting about the things that show our weakness and need for him. Chapter 11, verse 30. And to keep praising God in all our afflictions. Chapter 11, verse 31. Let Jesus satisfy your heart with confidence that you can depend on him. Then live each day as a God-dependent woman. Until next time, I'm Melanie Newton, and this is Series 8 of Satisfied.